This talk was given by Prabhu Gikhan Vasan at Zen Mountain Monastery. Gikhan is a senior lay student in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. My name is Gikhan, and um, I was asked to offer the talk today. I just want to start by just um, welcoming everybody, um, wherever you are in this um, big, wide web. Um, if this is your first morning program, if you're, if you're new to, to this, um, I, hope, I, hope, um, I hope you've been enjoying this morning, and I hope you've um, you found it helpful. You've been finding it helpful. I also want to say, um, especially to those who are inhabiting and manifesting in black bodies and black lives, I want to start my talk by affirming that black lives, your life matters. And I hope that you and those in your life are, are safe right now and healthy and, and empowered. This is from the Bahia Sutra from the Pali Canon. You should train yourself thus. In reference to the seen, there will be only the seen. In reference to the heard, only the heard. In reference to the sensed, only the sensed. In reference to the cognized, only the cognized. When for you, there is only the seen in reference to the seen, only the heard in reference to the heard, only the sense in reference to the sense, only the cognized in reference to the cognized, then there is no you in connection with that. When there is no you in connection with that, there is no you there. When there is no you there, you are neither here nor beyond nor between. This just this is the end of suffering. So the question that I've been struggling with for this talk, and um, maybe it's something that uh, many of us have been struggling with, is how can I bridge what the Dharma has to say to each of us with what it has to say to all of us? And making that more personal, how can I, and maybe we, how can we see these months of sickness, isolation, death by illness, death by violence, death by white supremacy, by state sanction, and the rising up of voices and masses of people, in response to all of that, how can we see all of that in light of this most intimate and most personal of paths? So I want to turn to this short sutra to, to try to do that. So the teaching here is, is pretty straightforward. When what you see, hear, sense, and think is only what you see, hear, sense, and think, then there's no you. 
then there's no suffering. This, just this, is the end of suffering. We suffer. That's the first truth of the Buddha. That is the basis on which he established his teaching. And you know, it's funny, when I was, um, when I was working on this talk, I, I sort of asked myself, if I never encountered the Dharma, and if I wanted to establish some very basic truths about human life, what would be my first truth? You know, what would I start with as my, my platform for everything else? I don't know that I would have started with we suffer. I'm sure I would have seen suffering in myself and in the world around me, but I don't know if I would have gone there. I don't know if I would have had the, the guts or the heart to go, to go there. The Buddha went there. We suffer. That's the reason why he, the Buddha practiced. That's the reason he began to teach. And that is the one thing he devoted his entire teaching life to addressing. We suffer. So I'm going to change the emphasis just a little bit. We suffer. You suffer. I suffer. And in this particular teaching, the Buddha goes right to that person, right to the sufferer, to the you and the me. And in doing so, he goes right to our current predicament that we're in right now that has so much to do with this nation, that race, those people, to to this young black man going for a run in that neighborhood, goes right to all of them. We began this morning chanting the Heart Sutra. And for those who are a little bit newer here, uh, the Heart Sutra is something that I think just about every Mahayana Buddhist center begins the day chanting. Right? It's, it's that um, it's that much of, at the heart of, of Mahayana Buddhism. So we chanted it. And we began, Avalokiteshvara, doing deep prajnaparamita, saw the emptiness of the five conditions. So again, for, for people who are a little bit newer, just very briefly, the five conditions um, are listed in the sutra. You know, uh, form is emptiness, emptiness is form, so form is the first one. Sensation, conception, discrimination, and awareness are likewise like this. Those are the rest of them. Those are the five conditions, also called the five skandhas in Sanskrit. Skandhas. And the skandhas are all of the sensory, mental, and emotive processes by which we make sense of everything by which we situate our presence in the world and through which we relate to and interact with that world, moment by moment, day by day. Avalokiteshvara saw those processes clearly and saw that they were empty and she stopped suffering. In this short sutra, the Buddha shows us what that looks like in practice. How do we actually do deep prajnaparamita? You should train yourself thus. 
And he basically says, if our sensory, emotive, and mental capacities are only what they are, there's no sufferer, therefore no suffering. And so the implication of that is, if there is suffering, clearly there is, we must be doing something else with those capacities as we move through our, our world. Something else that gives rise to the sufferer. Okay, so now I want to tell you the story of the leaf man. The leaf man. A number of years ago, I was a clinical social worker in a clinic that was located in a housing project in West Manhattan. And um, I, I saw a, a small boy for therapy. I, I will call him Antoine for purposes of this talk. Um, I, if I recall correctly, he was around like four years old, something like that. He was a small four-year-old African-American boy. And um, he, he went to the, uh, the, the Head Start program um, that was kind of adjoining uh, those next door. So what I would do is, as many of us did, we would go over to the Head Start program, uh, you know, pick up our client and bring, bring him back, bring him or her back to the, the clinic for therapy. And um, just to give you a, a sense of this, you know, it was funny. Every time I would, I would go in there to get Antoine, all the other kids would like gather around me and say like, you know, me next, me next, you know, when do I get to go? When do I get to go with you, right? You know, that's how eager they were for um, a chance to just be with an adult one-on-one, -on -one. completely for them, their time. Um, very different than the middle school kids who did not want anyone knowing that they were in therapy. Um, I had this one boy who said, no, you don't even come close to my classroom. I will come out to the, the, the front door of the school and we can go from there, right? So younger kids, they were, they, were, they were just delighted to see an adult actually wanting to spend time with them. So this one uh, morning, I guess, I assume it was autumn, I, I went, I picked up Antoine and I'm walking him back to the clinic. And, you know, was, the wind was just blowing everything around, right? And as we were walking, Antoine pointed to a bunch of leaves swirling in the wind. And he said, leaf man. And I stopped and looked down at him and I said, what did you say? And he said, that's the leaf man. And so I crouched down to get at his level and I said, say that again. Did you just say, that's the leaf man? He goes, yeah, that's the leaf man. So... I was doing play therapy with him at the time. And so we, we gathered a bunch of leaves and brought them into my office. And um, I asked him, all right, so, so tell me about this. Show me. Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's do the leaf, man. What, what's this about? And um, you know, one of the reasons why I love play therapy is that I totally get to regress. I had all of like the old school uh, Marvel comic action figures in my office. And so Antoine grabs the Hulk. Right, the Incredible Hulk, you know, green, mean. And this is like the old school Hulk where, you know, his pants are like ripping because like his legs are so big that he can't even contain himself like when he, when he makes himself into the Hulk. And so like, it's like, like that, that kind of Hulk, right? And so he grabs the Hulk and basically we scotch tape the leaves onto the Hulk. And that was a leaf man. Um, Antoine, you know, in his play described, you know, he is a superhero that you know, emerges in the swirling leaves. And, you know, and, and we just went to town, right? I mean, he took on all the other superheroes. He took on tanks, dragons, um, you know, my, my whole collection of army men, everything. And, and you know, he, he was boss, right? He was like totally like, like just wiped them all out, right? That's, 
You know, that, that, that's the leaf man. And that's what we do, right? That's what we do, right? We look at the swirl, the swirl of sensations, thoughts, and feelings, the swirl of the skandhas, and we put a person in there. And exactly like Antoine, having put a person in there, we go on to give our person powers, superpowers, powers that no human being actually has. So um, I'll speak for myself. I'm going to own my leaf man. Um, My leaf man is solid. My leaf man is permanent. My leaf man endures. And in times of desperation, I honestly believe that my leaf man will even endure after this physical body stops to endure. That's how super he is. My leaf man has defenses against being hurt. My leaf man can be impervious to pain, mine and yours. My leaf man can tell who's the good guys and who's the bad guys. And as it turned out, as it turns out, but my leaf man is one of the good guys. My leaf man can punish people. My leaf man is generally right. So if uh, we're in a disagreement, that means that your leaf person is probably wrong. And I do that for both what I see, think, and feel about what's inside this skin bag, and that's the leaf man called me, and about what's outside the skin bag. And those are the leaf people called you, they, and it. This, just this, is suffering. I want to use a, uh, a personal example of, of this functioning, and then I want to open it up right to, to where we are right now. Um, and I'm doing that because, you know, I think it's a basic teaching that what's happening outside is simply a bigger manifestation of what's happening inside. Years ago, um, I had a um, exchange of words with a uh, woman on the street. Um, It was near where I lived at the time in East Manhattan. And I believe it was on one of the anniversaries of 9-11. And there was a bomb scare in my neighborhood. I guess someone had left a suitcase unattended to. And so there's a bomb scare. And, you know, it was a total scene. There was a bomb squad. The police were there. They had cordoned off you know, blocks and, um, you know, they were, um, diverting people, you know, away from the scene, taking alternate routes, etc. So, you know, I was going down one of the, the diversions, one of the detours. And, um, I was walking next to this woman, a white woman who was talking on her cell phone to a friend of hers and, and kind of just describing the whole scene. And then she looks at me and she tells to her friend on the phone, yeah, and there's one of them walking next to me right and, you know, so we proceeded down the block, like literally like right next to each other. Um, and she just proceeded to say some, some, some pretty um, awful things about who she thought I was. 
um, what my um, character traits must be like, what should be done with me, you know, um, how her life would be better if me and people like me uh, were deported, etc. Um, it did not end well. I wish I could say I was a bodhisattva. I was not. Uh, we reached the point where our, the, the, the detour was over, so we could go our separate ways. She was done her call by that point. And um, I probably started this. I think I cursed her out. She cursed me out. I think we then both cursed each other out, and then we, we went on our way. Uh, not, not, not one of my more, more shining uh, moments. You know, in the Mountains and Rivers Sutra, that we, um, that we just studied this past training period, Dogen quotes an earlier teacher who said, if you wish to avoid the karma of hell, do not slander the true teachings of the way. I've been reading that for years and every time it struck me as being a little too fire and brimstone for my taste, but you know, now I've, I've realized that it's exactly accurate to what um, me and this woman were caught up in and, and to what we as a nation are caught up in. Starting with the personal, this woman and I had created a relational space in which our respective karmas were activated, both our very personal karmas as well as the karma of the nation, karma of the history, the karma of the time was completely activated. And where we saw each other as the enemy and where we wanted to defeat each other and cause each other pain. And to me, that's a pretty good working definition of hell. And how did we end up there? How do we end up in that, in that place? Because we slander. Like, you know, let me take a step back. I, I just realized I have, no, I have no idea what the experience of that woman was, so I, I can't really say we. I'm going to own this one. How did I end up there? Because I slandered. I was slandering. I was thinking, speaking, and acting in a way that grossly distorted reality, grossly distorted how things really are. I was bound up in othering her and in othering myself. I, and to the extent that I can understand her, I believe she, we're creating an I and a you. And having done that, going back to this sutra, everything else followed, had to follow, if you think about it, right? You know, it's interesting. Um, just this morning, as I was kind of reviewing my talk notes, it, it just occurred to me that in all of the episodes of The Leaf Man, that Antoine and I um, played out all the stories, there was never a story that was peaceful, right? There was never a story about, you know, the leaf man, you know, being able to relax. The leaf man, you know, being able to, you know, um, have a good time. I mean, he really didn't have a good time, right? He was always, it was always like rock'em sock'em. You know, it was Leaf Man versus, you know, Leaf Man versus Spider-Man. Leaf Man, um, Antoine was really into my chess. He didn't know how to play chess, but he was into the pieces of Leaf Man versus all the chess pieces. You know, Leaf Man versus Iron Man. That was actually one to remember. That was actually a very good one. It was always Leaf Man versus somebody, right? So, you know, once a person is put in there, right, it, it, it follows that way. Right, I think that's one of the very basic teachings of, of the sutra.
So that was my little life. I want to um, I want to now open this up to the, the collective life that we were finding ourselves in. Um, the writer and scholar, um, Kianga Yamada Taylor, um, in the New York Times, she had an op-ed piece, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, or last week or something, where she um, kind of traced the current um, just eruption of protests and demonstration um, by, um, by African-Americans, by black people and their allies to, and this is a quote from her, the convergence of three tragic events. A pandemic disproportionately killing black people, the failure of the state to protect black people, and the preying on black people by the police. She's basically describing our karma of hell. 400 years of white supremacy and anti-blackness um, that, you know, in some ways, to my understanding, could only have led to all this. You know, I was, um, that, that woman who I was walking down the street with, okay, um, Okay, actually, let me, let me, let me back up. Um, yesterday, there was another piece in the Times um, by another, um, I, I believe she is a, um, a black woman, uh, Kihana Mariah Ross. And she was, uh, her piece was about anti-blackness. So I just want to include this and then maybe talk about a little bit. Um, she said anti-blackness. And I just wanted to back up and just say that I realize right now that anyone who's listening, who is, is black, is probably already well aware of this. So I just want to own that I am very specifically talking here to uh, non-black people of color and white people who might not know this. So I'm just going to own that. Anti-blackness describes the inability to recognize black humanity. It captures the reality that the kind of violence that saturates black life is gratuitous and unrelenting. And later she says, the thingification of black people is a fundamental component of the identity of this nation. Personally, I think that's an accurate statement. And given that, like I said before, given all of that, how, where else could we have been led except to exactly where we are right now? Given what that woman on that street so many years ago, given what she made me into, um, an embodiment of her fears, an embodiment of her anger, an embodiment of her patriot patriotism, given all of that, what else could she have done at that moment? So what can, what can we do when we are thingified? You know, when I brought, I actually took this to a Tadokasan, to, to Shugen, um, back then, Shugen Sensei, and back then it was Daisan. I actually brought this incident to him. I went into Daisan and I told Shugen about what happened, and I asked him, you know, what could I have done differently? 
And he suggested that I might have just simply looked at her and simply said, you don't see me. I've been reflecting on that a lot over the years. Um, it would have been, a, it, it was true, it was accurate. It would have been a good thing to offer. Um, that is what I think, that is what I think is happening right now. That really brings together this teaching with what's happening in the world. We are being made to see. This is our chance to see. Whole populations are basically saying, you don't see me. You haven't seen me. And taking the next step and saying, see me. And in doing so, I think what's also being said is, see the karma. See what's underlying all of this. See the karma that's been generated. One of my, um, one of my sisters in this uh, sangha, um, a woman who I, I hold really close to my heart, one of my sisters of color, um, in an email thread, she asked the following question. She said, what do we need to do to our minds so that other humans are treated worse than animals? I think there's a lot of wisdom in that question. First, it's the fact that she said, due to our minds. In other words, you know, and this goes exactly back to what the, the Buddha was talking about in the Sutra, right? Or, and what the Heart Sutra says. Avalokiteshvara was doing deep prajnaparamita. We as a collective, as a nation, are doing something else. And that question, she also says, what do we need to do? Right. And I think that speaks to how driven all of this is, how driven the karma that we've created is at this point, and how, um, therefore, how relentless it can be and how difficult it can be to see this, especially when we are caught in the midst of it. The, um, the teacher, uh, Zenju Earthland Manuel, wrote a piece. Um, I only saw it yesterday. It might have been um, before that. And in it, she says, um, it was in Lion's Roar. She talks about inclusivity. And she says, you know, inclusivity is something that already exists and has existed from long before we were born. Everything is fully included. Everything is fully included, to the extent that I understand that, is a life free of suffering. It's an expression of life in complete harmony and joy. Because there's nothing and no one standing in the way. No one is being othered. No one is being thinified. You know, when I, when I first started practicing, I had faith that this Dharma, to the extent that I understood it uh, and this practice, could alleviate my suffering and maybe put my suffering to rest. 
But it's only more recently that I'm seeing that this Dharma is saying something far more radical. The sufferer doesn't need to be there. The sufferer himself, herself, themselves can be alleviated and put to rest. I'm not there yet. I'm not even close. I've sort of asked myself, you know, if, if I was in that same situation with that woman again, um, what would I have done differently? I don't know. I honestly don't. Um, no idea. So I'm not there. And um, I think we as a country aren't there yet. Um, uh, personally, I don't think we're close. But I think that we are um, at the first step, which is facing our karma. You know, Avalokiteshvara saw that the swirl of the skanda was empty. Fine. But if she was anything like us, and let me just be really clear, Avalokiteshvara is exactly us. Before she could do that, before she could see the swirl as empty, she needed to see the swirl. She needed to see every part of her and her meaning the her inside the skin bag and her outside the skin bag, every piece of it from the fleeting to the deeply, deeply entrenched, right? To see everything that she was putting in the way of everything is fully included. This place, this meditation seat, this zendo, this temple has always been a place to see that, right? But now, thanks to so many people, largely people of color, largely to black and brown bodies and voices, every place is a place to see that. So I just wanted to end by giving thanks, giving thanks to all of us who, with our voices, and our bodies, and our teachings, however those teachings have manifested, whether it's the teaching of silence or the teaching of see me. I want to give thanks to all of us who've helped all of us to see, to see all of this clearly. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for your attention. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as meditation cushions, incense, malas, liturgical instruments, books, and more, visit the Monastery Store at monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.